must conform or we will be left by the change. This new world religion serves the God of their choice, but salvation still comes in one name. That name is Jesus. Sweet Rose is Sharon, spotless and pure Lamb of God. Jesus, the of Judah, promised Emmanuel, God's Son. Jesus, my Lord and Creator. One day we'll bow and proclaim He's the Lord of all glory The crown king of kings All creation will thunder his name and That name is Jesus Sweet robes of Sharon Spotless and pure lamb of God Jesus, the lion of Judah Promised Emmanuel, God's son Yeah. 
mentioned them downstairs in the uh, uh, Bible study Sunday school class, but want to bring them to the congregation as well. Pray for Brother Billy Whitlow uh, as we put out Brother Billy. Uh, his uh, appendix ruptured uh, uh, earlier last week, and he's in uh, dire straits, just to be honest with you. So please pray for Brother Billy. I was out there yesterday, then Renee went for me this morning as well uh, to pray with him. So please remember Brother Billy, if you would. 
Pray for Sister Sarah Lawson. She's in Martinsville Hospital. Uh, uh, Renee was again out there with them this morning. Uh, complications with her cancer treatment. So pray for Sister Sarah, if you would. Brother, uh, uh, Brother Robert Turner is, of course, uh, at the uh, Stanley Town, which is an answer to prayer. That's nothing short of a miracle. But he's got a long ways of recovery to go. I saw him yesterday, and uh, he re uh, asked me, as did Vicki. She was there. Uh, JT and Elaine were also there to extend their gratitude to everyone for all their prayers and calls and everything that's been done for them. Uh, they've got long ways to go, but they know that uh, God's grace is sufficient, as Vicki told me yesterday, so remember them. And then Sister Angie Martin, uh, you may not recognize the name. Angie sits down here at the front, she and her husband. Uh, her mother uh, passed away this week, and we'll be having the services up in Stewart today at 2 o'clock at Moody, so you pray for that. Uh, by their own admission, there's lost loved ones in that family, so pray for us as we'll be delivering that message that God will use that as an instrument of salvation. And then let's ask God's blessings upon our services today. If we're here, we need him to be here. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask Josh to take us to the throne room of grace. You join Josh in praying for the services today. Josh, you pray for us, buddy, if you would. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, Lord. We want to thank you, first of all, for the opportunity to be in your house this yeah. morning, Lord. Lord, we don't want to take that for granted because there's many people in this world today that don't have this opportunity. Lord, I just pray that you'll be with all the requests that were mentioned this morning, Lord. I can't remember them all, but Lord, I pray that you'll just touch each and every one in their special way, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will touch the services today, God. I pray that you'll just let your presence be known, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with Brother Greg as he brings us a message this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to be receptive of what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that it won't just stay in the doors this morning, Lord. I pray that it'll, we, each and every one of us, can take it out into our community today, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we can touch someone's lives, Lord, this week. And Lord, I pray that you'll just shine through each and every one of us that are here this morning. And Lord, I pray that... If there will be one lost soul here this morning, Lord, I pray that you'll just touch that heart, Lord. Begin to convict them during the song service, Lord. And I pray that you'll just work in their heart so hard, Lord, that they can't just stay in that seat, Lord, that they'll come to this altar and get saved this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll just be with us throughout the rest of this day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated this morning. I often talk about my favorite song, how much I love this song or that song. But I'm going to confess to you this morning, if we ripped out all the songs but one, this is the one I'd leave in. There's no song that our choir sings that I think is more my testimony, and I hope yours, than Lisa Coffey singing, did I mention. You listen as our choir sings this morning. David sang the praises of the glory of Jehovah, priest always lost, save go with Christ. Little John said he is precious. Bali Did I miss? 
Thank you, choir. Wonderful job as always. Let me give you several announcements now. Uh, most of these are in your bulletin, but I've got a few that are not that I want to bring to your attention. First of all, uh, choir practice next Sunday morning. Or at, excuse me, next Sunday afternoon. Uh, we're not doing practice Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon. At 4.45, if you're a faithful member here of our church, we'd love to have you sing in our choir. That's all you have to be, no auditions or anything like that. Just come and open up and let her rip, tater chip. And uh, we practice at 4.45. We have a good time singing joyful songs to the Lord, so you come be with us. If you're a faithful member here of our church, we'd love to have you. Also want to bring to your attention the new item that is listed for our Grace Network collection. Uh, that information is in your bulletin. We always appreciate your willingness to help us out with that. Big, big help here in our community and you can pick this item up typically at the dollar store this week or this quarter rather it's a uh, pound bag of rice couple bucks and if you would help us out with that we've got distribution collection centers there at the back of the church also here at the side as well so anytime any place you can drop those in there are other items listed there but our item is always the first one listed on that bulleted list there then I want to call to everyone's attention our senior saints there's been a change in the date for our senior trip uh, up to uh, Wolf House uh, Dinner Theater. That date has changed to uh, Thursday, April the 26th. Uh, the amount is still the same. Uh, leaving church at 9.30. The lunch will be at two, 12 o'clock. Show is at 2 o'clock. And you got to sign up and pay uh, Brother Bobby uh, today after the morning service. This is the uh, last call for that. It's got to happen today. Got to pay today after the morning service. So please take care of that. And then I want to uh, call this to your attention. All of the senior saints, 55 and above, or your spouse is 55 and above, we are going to be taking a, uh, a trip to sight and sound theater in October. Uh, their new production this year is on the life of Christ and it is from all accounts and everything that I've read absolutely spectacular. Uh, they're going to go in October and Brother Bobby would like to meet with those senior saints who may be interested today right after the service. You all can meet over here on the piano side right after services again uh, sight and sound in October. The date is 2TBA uh, that will be uh, formulated shortly but if you're interested uh, he wants to meet with you all right after the services this morning, uh, so uh, help us out with that if you would. Continuing, uh, one more week to collect for the needy family that's got the unexpected uh, uh, taken in, uh, the nephews, uh, the two toddler boys, uh, size 2T and 3T, all of that information is listed. Uh, we're going to collect through next Sunday. Our winter weather uh, slowed that down just a little bit, so help us out with that. Anything that you can bring, uh, uh, children's items, household items, uh, this young lady is unexpectedly taken in her two nephews and now setting up house for them to keep them from going into the foster system, and I commend her for doing that. Uh, but those things all happen very quickly, and so we're trying to help her out with that. Let me say a big thank you. Oh, by the way, those items go in Pastor Ken's outer office. Let me say a big thank you to everyone who gave your Judas bags offerings for our parking lot. We've collected just over $2,000. I appreciate that generosity. If you did not bring them last Sunday, you can still put them in anytime. We'll sure collect it, so help us with that if you would. And then a few announcements that are not in your bulletin. I'll remind you, uh, this one was in last week. Uh, you had the pink insert announcing the wedding shower for Brooke Cassidy and Justin Loy. That will happen this Saturday, the 14th of April from 12 and to 2 here at the church. Uh, their preferred gifts are the Visa gift cards and gift cards to Target, Food Lion, and Walmart. You know, I remember a day not too long ago where if you uh, 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 gave someone a gift card, you were considered tacky. I think it's the greatest gift God ever made. Amen. 
gift cards are God's answer to prayer. Amen. So uh, uh, you help out with that. Remember, from 12 and to 2, uh, this coming Saturday for the wedding shower. Keep that in mind. Then uh, uh, we also have a, a special announcement I want to bring to your attention. Uh, as most of you know, uh, the former pastor at uh, First Baptist Church, excuse me, at, at Faith Baptist Church, uh, Brother Van Moore, passed away a few weeks ago unexpectedly. And uh, First Baptist Church of Bassett is hosting a fundraiser for his precious, precious widow. Uh, that will be this Saturday. Uh, April the 14th from 6 until 8, four groups will be present. The Joyful Sounds, uh, the ones that you know and love that we've had here at our church. And then three other groups on our way home, Joyful Sound of Bassett and the Butcher family will all be participating. And all the proceeds, uh, there is no uh, entrance fee, but there will be a love offering. And all proceeds will go to Sister Darlene Moore, who is, of course, uh, the uh, widow of Brother Van. Uh, and then there is information about where you can send that if you're not able to go. And I'll leave that up here at the front for folks who may be interested in that. And then uh, 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 Brother Jason Alvarez, uh, as many of you know, Jason, if you've been with us a while, Jason and his company did our roof. Uh, a few uh, years ago, he uh, assumed the pastorate of Mountain View Baptist, uh, Alverson, I said his name wrong, Jason Alverson, uh, assumed the pastorate of Mountain View Baptist after the first of this year, and he's holding his first revival, uh, April 16th, 17th, and 18th, Brother Richard Harrison, a great preacher, great preacher from Lake Butler, Florida, will be there 7 o'clock nightly, and uh, Brother Jason's team also patched our roof after the recent storm, so we sure appreciate him. And then a real sweet card from Sister Jeannie Martin. Wave your hand, Miss Jeannie. We're glad to see you back today after your major, major surgery. She's back with us today. And she just says, thank you, Carl, for your prayers, cards, phone calls during my surgery and healing. I uh, thank Pastor Greg a few other personal things there I won't read. But uh, uh, I appreciate you, Miss Jeannie. We love you, and we're so glad to see you. And then just before the kids go out, uh, we want to wish uh, Pastor Ken and Miss Susan a happy 23rd wedding anniversary today. Today. Happy anniversary. I came in this morning, and he had on this jacket, and I said, Ken, I love that jacket. And I, he said, thank you, preacher. This is my Roy Williams jacket. For those of you who don't know, Roy Williams is the coach of UNC. I looked at him, and I said, Ken, that's the ugliest jacket I've ever seen in my life. Amen. <laughs> and then one other quick thing. I'm going to do more about this later. Uh, in the coming weeks, you'll see more about it. But I want to just say a big thank you uh, to Brother Eddie. If you look around, there's been an awful lot of work that's gone on here in the last two months. And Brother Eddie's done all of it single-handedly. So, Brother Eddie, we appreciate it, buddy, from the bottom of our hearts. Bottom of my hearts. And uh, I can't imagine what, how we could have done this without him. And there's more to come. Uh, uh, and no good deed goes unpunished. Amen. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate it. Brother Eddie will be leaving this weekend. Is that right, Brother Eddie? For another missions trip, and you continue to pray for him. And when he gets back, I'm going to have a little surprise for him. Amen. All right, uh, all the kids, if you're heading to junior church or children's church, you come on this morning. All the kids heading to children's church or junior church, come on, make your way this morning. If you're visiting, they're going to come around and collect any change you got. This is our Penny March. Help support our children's and ladies' programming. Take off, young folks.
buckets on back down this morning. Everybody heading to Children's Church and Junior Church. Make your way this morning. so much. Fellas, make your way down. Ushers, uh, receive our Sunday morning offering. You be obedient to God. Brother Ken's going to come sing for us this morning for our offering, and you again be obedient unto him with his tithes and your offerings. I'm going to pray, and then Brother Ken will sing for us. Lord, we lift up today those in our congregation who could not be with us. Lord, folks who would normally be here but for sickness are unable to be so. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. Lord, uh, Sister April with her eye surgery. Brother Billy, they're in the hospital. Lord, uh, Sister Sarah, they're in the hospital. So many others. God, that uh, are not here today uh, because of sickness. I pray that you'd comfort them, bless them. Lord, I pray for our offering today. Thank you for the uh, faithfulness of your people in their tithes and offerings, Lord. We know biblically that's how we keep the church doors open, the lights on. And Lord, we do what we do is because folks' obedience to, to faithfully tithe. Bless Brother Ken as he sings now in Christ's name. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. If you're thankful for the grace of God this morning, you ought to shout right there. Amen. The Lord has promised good to me. His words, my hope, secures. He will. My shield and pour 
as long as life endures. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Amazing grace, my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending Amazing grace The earth shall soon dissolve like snow The sun forbear to shine But God who called me Let's all stand together one more time. Turn in your blue songbook to page 203. It's one of my favorite courses that we sing. The windows of heaven are open. And God, may we ask that he would just rain them down upon us today. Page number 203 this morning. The windows of heaven. We'll sing it one time through. Have a time of fellowship. Let's sing it now. The windows of heaven are open. The blessings are falling tonight. There's joy, joy, joy in my heart since Jesus made everything right. I gave him my old tattered garment. He gave me a robe of pure white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven. And that's why I'm happy tonight.
Thank you, honey. Appreciate that so much. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to two places, and then I'm going to tell you why I'm switching the message from what I'd originally intended to preach this morning. If you were here last Sunday, I told you that we'd give you the fourth in a four-part series we'd been doing all about Christ. We talked about the uh, crucifixion, the charges set against him, the coronation today uh, was uh, supposed to be the coronation of Christ. Lord willing, we might do that next Sunday, but I'm going to switch up and I'll explain why in just a few moments, but I want you to look two places in your Bibles this morning. Turn to 2 Samuel 17, please. Put your little bookmark or something there to hold that place, 2 Samuel 17, and then also Hebrews 12, please. 2 Samuel 17, and then Hebrews 12. I will also tell you that I'm going to invite you this morning to turn to a few places in Scripture throughout the message. That's something I don't normally do on a Sunday morning. Normally a Sunday morning, we got a passage, we rear back and rip into it. And we're going to do that this morning, but you're going to flip through some passages with me this morning. And I want to start by, on a very serious note, telling you why the Lord led me, I believe, to switch up what I plan to do this morning. I shared a little bit of it in Sunday school. Uh, in fact, I switched my Sunday school lesson this morning uh, as well because of this incident, and I'm switching my Sunday morning message because of the incident. On Monday, uh, my administrative assistant in my office called me and said, I've got such and such on the phone, and he's indicating he'd like to talk to you about something that's not college-related. Do you mind? And I said, sure, of course. She put him on the line, and I'm not going to tell you who it was. Some of you might know him, but that's irrelevant. Someone, And uh, he said, Dr. Hodges, I'm calling you and asking you for just a moment. Could you put on your pastor's hat and meet with me? And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. So he came at 5 o'clock and, and uh, sat in my office, and for almost an hour, uh, this person uh, unloaded on the circumstances, the tribulations, the, tri the trials that this very godly, very saved, very church-active man was facing. Problems with his marriage, problems with his children, problems with his work, problems at his church. And he had just about reached the breaking point. This man's man, this rugged man's man, taller than I am, in shape, <laughs> which I'm not, looked at me and tears streaming. I appreciate nobody saying amen to that part. <laughs> looked at me and with tears streaming down his face, he said, Dr. Hodges, I just don't know what to do. And so I went through a little exercise with him that I did downstairs in Sunday school this morning where we talked about the difference between joy and contentment and how joy is fleeting and circumstantial dependent. But contentment is that thing that Paul says, I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. It is that element that is described as the peace that passeth all understanding, and it's given to the child of God who chooses to seek after it. Contentment is a choice. Joy is circumstantial. And in the midst of his conversations, he really opened up his heart. And he began to share with me some of the things that he had experienced at work. Some of the things he had experienced with his family. 
and to be blunt, some of the things he had experienced at his church. And out of his own mouth came this uh, statement. He stopped then after about 30 minutes calling me Dr. Hodges and started calling me preacher. And he said, preacher, I'm just bitter. I'm just bitter. After about an hour, he had to leave, and I went home. And and I walked out of there with two thoughts in mind. Number one, I needed to redirect my efforts because sometimes I think God divinely drops things in our path to let us know which way to go. And I walked out of there with this simple belief, this simple understanding that I shared in Sunday school and that I'm going to share with you all. Our churches today are full of people who are seeking after joy but are missing out on contentment. They're seeking out on things that bring temporary pleasure. And please don't misunderstand me. There's no sin, shame, or sorrow in things. There's no sin, shame, or sorrow in pursuits. But contentment is that element where you say, if I don't have those things, I I can still be satisfied with Jesus anyway. But then there was a statement he said that resonated with me so deeply where he said, Preacher, I am just so bitter. I'm just so bitter. If you've been in church any length of time, especially if you've been involved in any kind of ministry service, it is very easy to get angry and very easy for that anger to deteriorate into bitterness. If you work in the public, amen. If you work with people, amen. It is very easy for you to get angry and for that anger to deteriorate into bitterness. I'm convinced today that many people don't have that peace that passeth all understanding. They can't enjoy that sweet contentment uh, that the presence of God brings because of a deep root of bitterness that's gripped their heart. They just can't get over what somebody else did. Don't look at me cross-eyed because the, the reality is that's a lot of us at any given moment. I shared in Sunday school. Listen now. I shared in Sunday school, and I, in fact, it was the folks at the tables who did far more talking this morning than I did. But I shared in Sunday school that contentment is a choice. In fact, one of our Sunday school members made that statement. And I'm going to make a statement to you this morning that bitterness is also a choice. And so if we're going to enjoy the life that God has for us, we're going to have to choose to not get bitter. There is no greater example in Scripture of the devastation that bitterness can bring than what we're going to look at this morning. No greater example, no greater challenge about the problems associated with bitterness than this person that we're going to look at. Read with me, if you would, to begin with in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Scripture says, looking diligently, verse 15, Hebrews 12, 15. Looking diligently, that means being real careful. 
paying attention to. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby many be defiled. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby many be defiled. I'm so glad that the writer did not include or did not stop with just that phrase, trouble you. But he gives us that additional clause, thereby many be defiled. You see, if I'm reading this correctly, it means when that root of bitterness takes hold in our heart, it doesn't just hurt us. It hurts a whole lot of people other than us. And now, 2 Samuel 17. 2 Samuel 17. Verse 23. Scripture says, and when, 2 Samuel 17, 23, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his politician. No, that's not what that says, is it? <laughs> he saddled. Amen. It ought to. <laughs> When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, put his household in order, and hanged himself, and died, and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Lord, we need your help today. Lord, I believe with all my heart that you directed my heart God, I just feel like whenever that happens, there's somebody here that needs to hear this. Lord, if nobody else, I need to hear it. Lord, how easy it is for us to get bitter. God, Scripture shows us that Christ himself got angry, so we know there's no sin in spiritual anger, but Lord, we have to be so careful that the anger does not turn to bitterness. Lord, I believe you taught us in Hebrews that when that root of bitterness grips our heart, it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts others, it hurts many others. Defiles is the word you use, Lord, those that love us, those that we might spiritually minister to, those that you put in our path never get the blessings that you intended because of the root of bitterness that grips our heart. Lord, I'm going to ask you this morning, Lord, use the message, use the words. Lord, I'm, I'm deeply praying that somebody will today, at the end of this message, move out of their seat and come to this altar and lay down bitterness that's keeping them from being marvelously blessed by you. Lord, we can preach on contentment we can teach on contentment but the reality is Lord we can never enjoy that contented peace that passes understanding while we've got bitterness in our hearts Lord most of all 
Well, the message today is for the saved person. God, I pray that you'd use the words to convict the lost if there's one here today. How we beg you to send the Spirit to show them that, that desperate need they have for salvation grace. We'll thank you and we'll praise you. In your sweet son's name, amen. What is bitterness? What does it mean when Hebrews talks about that root of bitterness? Webster defines it as resentfulness. The idea of brooding anger over things that have happened in your life. Brooding anger that we seemingly just can't get past, can't get through, can't get over because of circumstances that have happened in our life. When that anger transitions into bitterness, it develops within us a spirit of hostility, a spirit of coldness, and is instead of drawing people to Christ, it pushes them away from us. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Scripture says that as God's children, we are to be the light of the world. We are to pull people through Christ out of darkness. We are the instrument, the conduit through which the light of God operates. We are, he's the light, but we are the thing that draws people out of darkness. He works through us. But do you understand that when we have that, that root of bitterness that grips our heart, instead of pulling others to him, we send them in the opposite direction. Where does it come from? What happens in someone's life that they end up being so bitter? How, how, how can you sit in a pew every Sunday and, and still be bitter? Our churches, I say to you again, are full of them. And if we're honest, many of us are them at one time or other. Bitterness can come about because of what somebody else says about us. What somebody else does to us, it can result because of circumstances or events in our life that we don't understand. It can even happen because of mistakes that we have made and the consequences that keep spiraling onward because of those mistakes. Because you do understand, I hope, that yes, we can be forgiven of that sin, thank God, but the consequences of that sin don't stop. Bitterness will affect every relationship in our life. It'll affect our marriage. It'll affect our work relationships. It will affect our parent-child relationships. It'll affect our familial relationships. But most of all, for the Christian, it will affect the relationship with God. Unquestionably. Unquestionably. We're going to look this morning at a man named Ahithophel. A man who by all accounts is David's right-hand man. He is the man that David leaned upon to execute his grand plan for Israel's, Israel's glory. He was literally uh, the chief counselor to David. But as I'm going to show you by the word this morning, uh, something had happened in Ahithophel's life uh, that had absolutely developed in him a root of bitterness that led to his own suicide. 
No greater example. No greater example of the dangers of bitterness than this man Ahithophel. Message this morning is entitled simply, The Danger of Getting Bitter. The Danger of Getting Bitter. Three things this morning. Number one, note with me Ahithophel's testimony. If you're taking notes and you don't want to spell it, just say his testimony. Ahithophel's testimony. I said to you as we started, I'm going to ask you to jump into several verses this morning. I don't normally do that, but it's critically important that you understand why I'm coming up with everything that I'm saying. Because I want you to notice with me, number one, that, that Ahithophel, by all external appearances, had the appearance of using our language today of being a saved person. Ahithophel, by his own actions, by his own outward demonstrations, had an appearance of being right with God. Why? Look with me, please, at 2 Samuel 15. 2 Samuel 15. Go back just a couple of passages, please, or a couple of pages. Look at verse number 12. Second Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. Scripture says, And Absalom, by the way, Absalom is the son of David, sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gila, while he, the he there is Ahithophel, offered sacrifices. While he, Ahithophel, offered sacrifices. The very first time that Scripture mentions Ahithophel, the first time that we meet him, he is engaged in sacrificing or worshiping God. It would be like you meeting someone for the first time at church. And every time you go to church, uh, you see them there. Uh, your first indication, your belief, uh, your, your, your identification of that person would be, my goodness, he's here all the time. He surely must love God. Not only did he sacrifice to God, but even more importantly, please look, turn a page, look at chapter 16, verse 23. Chapter 16, verse 23. Scripture says, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. Wow. When somebody wanted godly advice, they went to Ahithophel. When somebody wanted to know what God would think about a situation or what God would say about a situation or to give them godly spiritual advice or wisdom, they went to Ahithophel. He had developed a reputation that as the oracle, which means mouthpiece, he spoke for God. Wouldn't you love to have that kind of testimony? Wouldn't you love to be the person at your place of employment or in your family, uh, when people uh, want to know what God says, uh, they look to you because they know that you are that close to God. That was Ahithophel, a saved man. But he didn't just have a testimony of a saved man. He had a testimony of a serving man. A serving man. We've already read it, but... 2 Samuel 5.12, when we meet him, uh, he is surrounding himself uh, 
uh, David was with great leaders, great counselors, uh, and Ahithophel was one of the men that David entrusted for advice. In fact, as the message this morning unfolds, uh, you're going to find uh, that at one point uh, when things got really bad for David, uh, when his son Absalom rebels and tries to take over his kingdom, uh, the first person at the greatest time of tragedy in David's life, the person that he goes to first for advice is Ahithophel. He trusted him. He believed in him. He was, he was the right-hand man, if you would. Any good leader has to surround himself with good men and women uh, that will give them countenance, give them advice, give them direction, give them different viewpoints. Uh, but the one that David trusted most was Ahithophel. He was right there beside of David. When David's own son, Absalom, threatened to depose his father, threatened to destroy the kingdom, threatened to have his own father executed so that he could become the king. David turns to Ahithophel and says, Ahithophel, what should I do? Help me understand. Some, or, or uh, uh, scholars rather, are in almost universal agreement that Psalm 41 verse 9, you don't have to turn, but Psalm 41 is David's psalm writing about uh, this, this, this time in David's life when things are spiraling out of control and he needs some advice, he needs some wisdom. And, and David uh, refers to Ahithophel as his familiar friend. Refers to Ahithophel as his friend, his familiar friend. I'm going to say it again because you need to know this. If you met Ahithophel on a Sunday morning in church, he'd be dressed in his Sunday finest. He'd have his Bible. He'd have his Mrs. Ahithophel and their 2.2 children and a dog named Spot and a white picket fence at the house. He looked perfect on the outside. He was second in command. Uh, he was right there beside of the king. Uh, folks emulated him. Folks went to him. Uh, he was respected, uh, revered. Uh, he was somebody who seemed to have it all. Yet inside of him, there was a bitterness that was eating him out from the core. Inside of him, there was a resentfulness. There was an anger that was so seething in him that it was destroying him. Why does that matter? Because our churches, please listen, I say this with eminent respect. Our churches are full of people who come in and they put on their Sunday finest. They bring their Bibles to church. They sit and listen to the preaching. They put money in the plate. By all outward appearances, things are good, things are right, things are okay. But for many folks, uh, their situations, uh, their problems, uh, their circumstances, uh, and how they've handled those circumstances, how they've led them into their life, are eating them from the inside out. And a bitterness is developing in them. Listen. That if not checked, will destroy them. Destroy their relationships. Ahithophel's testimony, number one. Number two, Ahithophel's tragedy. Ahithophel's tragedy. We're going to look at a few other scriptures 
And I'll set very quickly the background of this to say Absalom's rebellion is perhaps the greatest uh, uh, mountain that David has to climb. David had lots of issues that he dealt with during his reign. He had lots of problems. He had lots of circumstances. Lots of, as any leader does, lots of trials he had to navigate. But none probably compared in scope, size, uh, and consequence to the day his own son rose up against him and said, You don't deserve to be king. I'm taking over. David is forced to flee the palace. It's referred to as Absalom's rebellion. There is... As a demonstration of Ahithophel's tragedy, a conspiracy. When David's son riles up against him, listen, Ahithophel, the second in command. Ahithophel, David's counselor. Ahithophel, David's spokesperson, the oracle of God. When Absalom rises up to try to take over, Ahithophel says, now's my chance. Now is my opportunity. Notice, please, 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David said, Oh Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Undoubtedly, it was imminently painful for David as he watched his own son try to usurp his throne, try to kick him out, try to depose him as king so that David's son Absalom could seat himself upon the throne. If he, if he, if he wasn't painful enough, now he finds out that it's not Absalom by himself, that his own command, if you will, his own second in charge, Ahithophel, has sided with his son. That moment, I can't help but think if David feels like, oh my Lord, everything that I've worked for, uh, everything that I've done, uh, everything that God's given me is about to fall apart. Everything I've built, my whole life has come to this moment. Uh, I've already lost children uh, because of Tamar. All of it's coming to an end. A conspiracy to show you just how hated or how much hatred Ahithophel had for David. Despite his outward appearance and despite what he led people to believe, to show you just how much he really hated David. Here's what he told David's son. Here's the counsel that he gave. Look at chapter 16, 2 Samuel, verse number 20. 2 Samuel 16. Verse 20, then said Absalom to Ahithophel, give counsel among you what we shall do. Ahithophel said unto Absalom, go in unto thy father's concubines. 
We all understand what that means, right? We're adults here. You understand that we're talking about he's encouraging his father's son to have sexual relations with the women that belong to David. I know that doesn't fit with our modern 21st century sensibilities, but that's what he's saying. Go in unto thy father's concubines, uh, which he hath left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all uh, that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent. Look at this church. On the top of the house. And Absalom went in unto his father's concubines, plural, in the sight of all Israel. When Absalom says to Ahithophel, what should I do? Ahithophel seizes on that moment to let his hatred take sight. To let his rage give an advice. And remember, that next verse, verse 23, everybody says that Ahithophel's got the voice of God. So if Ahithophel said it, it's got to be the right thing. Ahithophel says to Absalom, I want you to go get your daddy's concubines, and I want you to have relations with them in front of everybody. Then they'll know who's in charge. You listen to me. That's not a mouthpiece of God. That's anger. That's bitterness. That's rage, hoping to get even. It gets worse. Turn to chapter 17. Turn to chapter 17. Verse 1. Not only is Ahithophel encouraging his, his king's son Absalom to disgrace David... Here's where the plan reaches its full fruition. Listen now. you got to read this. 2 Samuel 17, verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. You need to know that when word of this rebellion reaches David, uh, he realizes he's outnumbered. Uh, he knows he's got no choice but to flee the palace and to flee Jerusalem. Uh, he is fleeing for his life, uh, fleeing with the clothes on his back, getting out of Dodge in order to save not only his kingdom but his very life. And Ahithophel says, hey, Absalom. Let me, let me get him. Verse 2. I will come upon him while he's weary and weak-handed and will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee. And I will spite the king only. I'll bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all return. So all the people shall be in peace. And the, please, and the saying pleased Absalom well. Hithophel says to Absalom, while you're doing the dirty deed with the concubines, you let me chase after your daddy. You let me pursue after him. You let me be the one, and I'm going to take 12,000 men with me, and I got one job, and that one job is I'm killing the king. Me. I want it to be me. There is a tragic conclusion to this. You see, God foreordained 
that there'd be someone else there at the palace. A man by the name of Hushai. For the sake of time, we're not going to go read all of the verses of 2 Samuel 17. I encourage you to go look at them. But Hushai was a double agent, if you will. He pretended to be on Absalom's side, but was in fact on David's side, a conspirator, if you will. And so God orchestrated the events so that Ahithophel followed Hushai's advice and not Ahithophel's. Which means that Ahithophel does not get to be the one to kill the king. So what does he do? Well, we read it. 17, verse 23. Look at it one more time. I know you're jumping a lot of verses. When Ahithophel's advice is not followed, 2 Samuel 17, verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose, got him to his house, to his city, put his household in order, and hanged himself and died. He was buried in the sepulcher of his fathers. Thankfully, David had a true friend in Absalom's court. Hushai was looking out for God's anointed. And I'll pause a moment and say David was God's anointed. And it was during this time uh, that that precious verse is ordered, uh, touch not mine anointed, that reality uh, that Ahithophel uh, nor Absalom nor anyone else had any business uh, trying to dethrone this man that God had placed there. God put him there, uh, and if it was somebody's time to remove him, God would remove him, not man. But when Ahithophel found that his advice wasn't followed, goes to his house, puts his things in order, and kills himself. Why? Where does that come from? We, we talk about bitterness. We talk about anger. But this is, the, this is the, the progression of bitterness that is unbelievable. Why? What happened in Ahithophel's life? And before we go further, I want to stop just a moment and make a very bold statement. Listen to me carefully. Churches today have a lot of Ahithophels in them. People who come to church every week. People who, who, who from all outward appearances uh, live right and do right and got it all going on and everything's hunky-dory and there's no problems. Uh, but on the inside something has happened. Uh, there's a bitterness, there's a hurt, there's an anger inside of them. Uh, and when things don't go right, uh, they may not commit physical suicide, uh, but they commit relational suicide and spiritual suicide. They destroy their relationship with God. They destroy their relationship with others. So what happened in Ahithophel's life? Let me show you real quickly. Let me show you very quickly. Please go back a few pages, 2 Samuel 11. Second Samuel 11.
There's two passages that we need to look at to really understand why Ahithophel was so full of hatred to David. Despite being his second in command, despite being uh, the man that was the counselor to David. Uh, verse 1 says it came to pass. By the way, 2 Samuel 11 is referred to as David's great sin with Bathsheba. You can go read about it in great detail. 2 Samuel chapter 11, 1 came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. I'll pose a moment and say this. There was no sin when David glanced and saw Bathsheba. The sin was when he glanced back again. There was no sin when David looked at her and saw she's beautiful. Then when he looked at her and said, I want her, that's when the sin happened. Look at verse number 3. And David sent and acquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, so, so let me set the stage for you. you got to know this. Bathsheba's married to a man in battle. His name is Uriah. We also find out in this verse uh, that, they, that, that Bathsheba is the daughter of a man whose name is Eliam. Turn to chapter 23, please. Chapter 23. Verse 34. Eliphet, the son of Ahashbai, the son of Machathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Eliam is Bathsheba's daddy. And Eliam's daddy is Ahithophel, which means Bathsheba is the granddaughter of Ahithophel. So every parent, every grandparent in the building, let me ask you a real simple question. Does Ahithophel have a right to be mad? You better believe it. Because if you know the story of 2 Samuel 11, David made Bathsheba his plaything. She had no choice in this relationship. I, I hear all the time preachers talking about Bathsheba. You understand when the king says, I want it, the king gets it. She didn't have a choice whether to say yea or nay. I'm not excusing her sin, but the sin rested upon David. David was the king. David was the one close to God, a man after God's own heart. David knew better. The, the, uh, Bathsheba could have been executed if she said no. And eventually, it all comes out. Why? Because Nathan, the preacher, goes up to David and says, you're the one that did this. And it all gets exposed. Nine years later, Ahithophel's hanging from his own ceiling. I ask again, did he have a right to be angry? Absolutely. There's no 
sin in anger. There's no sin when we get angry over things that Scripture says are wrong. In fact, one of the reasons I think we're in the mess we're in today is because Christians quit getting mad at sin. We turned it a blind eye to sin. We winked and shaded over sin, especially in our churches. We decided it didn't matter anymore. We've got to have a bigger crowd, and we started turning a blind eye to what God says is wrong. No sin, shame, or sorrow in being angry. But when that anger turns to bitterness, listen, nine years later, David's still the king, and the only one dead is Ahithophel. So let me ask you, who did the bitterness really kill? The one that held it. Can I close this morning by giving you four very quick fixes for bitterness? I'm going to be real fast. Very quick. I spent a lot of time, 30 minutes in fact, giving you a long introduction. And here's what you got to get. Number one, recognize that bitterness is a sin. Recognize that bitterness is a sin. I got to say yet one more time, no sin, shame, or sorrow in anger. Uh, but when that anger turns to resentment in your heart uh, over those that hurt you, uh, then listen, then we are just as guilty uh, in the eyes of the Lord uh, because our first step uh, is to admit uh, that we hold bitterness against another person. You know as well as I do, that the time to pull the root or to pull the weed out of the garden is when it first sprouts. When it, the bigger it gets, the harder it becomes to pull out. A weed becomes a plant and a plant becomes a tree. And if you just yank it out, you don't get the root out because the root goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Acknowledge that sin. Number two, listen, please make a choice to forgive people. Make a choice to forgive people. And I don't mean the Baptist style of forgiving, which is I might forgive, but I don't forget. That's not the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness uh, is defined by God, by Christ, when he says, as far removed as the east is from the west, in the depths of the sea, behind my back. Uh, he simply says, it's gone, gone, gone. And if he forgives us in that capacity, who are we to say we cannot and will not forgive others? It's a choice. It's a choice. Number three. Oh, please get me. Past events. I've got to be forgotten. There is not a person in this room who's not been hurt by somebody. And sometimes the somebodies are also in this room. <laughs> All of us. And if you've never been hurt by somebody, get in line. It starts behind me. You can't be in public service. You can't work around people. You, if, if you've never been hurt by somebody, you must be living in a black hole corner of the world. Because everybody gets hurt by somebody. And whether or not we get over that uh, is entirely our choice.
I know that pop psychology won't teach you that, uh, but the reality is uh, Jesus says, all ye that are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. I hear people say, I can't get over that. I can't forget it. Uh, And my response is almost inevitably, it's a choice you're making not to get over it. Acknowledge our sin of bitterness. Forgive people. Forget the past. Number four, forsake hatred and bitterness. The last thing I'm going to ask you to look at this morning, Hebrew, excuse me, Ephesians 4. We'll be done. Ephesians 4. Verse 26. Writing to the church, writing to Christians, writing to believers. Paul says, chapter 26, Ephesians 4, Be ye angry, sin not. Can I paraphrase that? He says, it's okay to get angry. You're going to get angry. That's what be ye angry means. You're going to get mad. People are going to work your nerves. Amen. My mama used to say, bless her heart, my mama was the head cashier at Kroger for many years, and she'd come home dead dog tired, and she said, I had one nerve today, and 300 people got on it. Amen. Amen. Be ye angry, but sin not. Keep reading. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I jokingly say all the time, folks ask me, what is the secret to yours and Renee's marriage? You seem to like each other. You've been married 25 years. You still love each other. You still get along. And I say, it's very simple. We made a pledge on the day we got married, we would never go to bed mad at each other. Our record for no sleep is seven weeks, but by golly, we've held up to it. Amen. But verse 27 is where it really hits the home. Neither give place to the devil. He's not speaking to the lost. He's speaking to the church. Be angry. Sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Because when it happens... That anger, that rage, that resentment is not killing anybody but you. Stand to your feet this morning. You can look this way for just a second. I will acknowledge that this was a very, very different kind of Sunday morning message. Normally, I like to get a scripture and hoot and holler and sweat and spit. And But as that gentleman walked out of my office Monday, I thought to myself, how many of our churches are full of people who are fighting the same battle? So now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands yet. But I'm going to ask you to do something very brave. 
I'm going to ask you right now if there is something or somebody that you need to lay at this altar, a past event, a hurt, a painful experience, a criticism, and you need to leave it right here and get up off of this altar breathing a fresh breath of air because it doesn't have a hold of your life anymore. Come on right now. There are lots of people who've already moved. It's going to take courage to say, I'm struggling with some anger. I'm struggling with some bitterness. But there's a lot of people who are moving right now. Come on. All over. I'm mad. I got to get over this. I need, I need help. You're going to leave it right here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Perfect song, Brother Ken. I surrender all. Folks are still moving. Come on. Hurt. I need to leave it here. Now I'm going to ask you one question. Now nobody, nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. You're here today and you say, Pastor, the thing I need most right now is Jesus. Never been saved. Don't know for sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Pray for me. Is there anyone like that? Anyone like that? Thank you. I appreciate that honest testimony. Can I pause just a moment and say, Jesus loves you so much that he went to the cross to die for you. God sent his son in the world that man might have life and have it more abundantly. You do not have to walk out of here not knowing that you're headed for heaven. Brother Ken's going to sing a song, and I would implore you, uh, Christians, you need to be praying right now. I'd implore you to step out. Let me take this Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're saved. One verse. Would you come this morning? Would you come? Oh, come this morning. I surrender. All, All to, to Jesus. Jesus. I, I surrender. surrender. All to Him. I freely give. I will ever, ever love and trust Him. Love and trust Him in His presence. it all over the building. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I surrender. Sing it now. to be back with us tonight at 6 o'clock. You don't want to miss the services this evening. I promise it will bless your heart. For those that raised their hand this morning, if you'd like to chat with me, there's nothing I'd love more than take this Bible and show you how you can be headed to heaven before you walk out of here. Brother Ken, dismiss us in prayer. I'll be at the back, and I'd love to chat with anybody that needs it. Brother Ken. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful, Lord, how you spoke to our pastor's heart today. Father, what a timely and needed message it was. God, I pray, Lord, you continue to work on hearts here today, and God, may your spirit, Lord, continue to move amongst your people here. And 
God, continue to work in the areas, Lord, that you know need fixing. God, I pray, Lord, we would check our own hearts, our own lives. God, examine ourselves, Lord, and Father, be quick, Lord, to dig out that, that root of bitterness. God, how it can ruin us. Father, Lord, thank you for speaking through your man. God, thank you, Lord, for him just being subject, Lord, to you today. And Father, just following what you wanted. God, we love you. Father, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Father, for the one that raised her hand in need for salvation. God, we pray, Lord, today you continue to work on that heart. God, may you come find the pastor, find me, Lord, many others in this church. God, can show them through the word how we can be saved. Father, I pray, Lord, you continue to move here. Father, we thank you for this place, for your people, for the faithfulness. God, thank you for the service today. Lord, we pray, God, you just keep us safe as we travel our separate ways. Father, we love you this morning because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.